If you have your Bible this morning, I'd ask you to turn with me to John 1, beginning in verse 29. John 1, beginning in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you shall see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus returned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to Jesus, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, and you shall be called Cephas. Well, this morning, uh, I hope that we together uh, can look forward to a new great year that's just about to begin. Just in a few days, uh, we're going to have to change the way we sign our checks. Uh, It's going to all be different. Uh, Someone once said that God created us with eyes in the front of our head so that if we were going to turn around and look behind us, it would give us a a stiff neck. Uh, The possibilities of the future call us to look forward. Bill Bryson traveled to Hannibal, Missouri to visit the boyhood home of Mark Twain, the great author. The house was trim, it was whitewashed, it had a green shutter all around it, it incongruously was in the middle of downtown. It cost $2 to walk around the site. Bryson found the house a disappointment. It purported to be a faithful reproduction of the original interiors, but, he said, There were wires and water sprinklers clumsily evident in every room. I also very much doubt that young Samuel Clemens' bedroom had Armstrong vinyl on the floor. (laughs) The house is owned by the city of Hannibal, and about uh, 135,000 people come to see this house every year. Bryson was disappointed that he wasn't able to actually go into the house. The way it worked was you looked through the windows 
and then you would walk around to the next window and look in that window. And at each window, there was a recorded message that would tell you everything that happened in that room. As he proceeded from window to window, he asked another tourist who was in his group, "Uh, what do you think? The friendly stranger said back, oh, I think it's great. He said, I come here uh, whenever I'm in Hannibal, two or three times a year. Sometimes I drive way out of my way just to come by and to view the house again. Dumbfounded, Bryson replied, really? Yeah, he answered. Uh, I must have been here 20 or 30 times by now. This is a real important shrine, you know. They walked and talked some more. Bryson's last question to the man was this. Would you say that the house is just like Twain described it in his books? The man replied, well, I don't know. I've never read any of his books. (laughs) Visiting the shrine, but ignoring the books. Doubtless, there are many followers of Jesus who are satisfied with that same kind of a superficial approach. They visit his shrine, you know, whichever church is around the area, but they never follow up by reading his teachings. Some of us, we want to go deeper. We want to know more about the risen Christ. Some of us want to know Jesus, not just as an interesting historical figure, but as the living Son of God. How do we find Him? How do we find Jesus? If we already know Him, how do we get to know Him better? Let me suggest some ways this morning. Sometimes we find Him through a dramatic act of revelation. It doesn't happen that way to many of us, and it doesn't happen often. But sometimes God breaks through into people's lives in a clear, unmistakable act of disclosure. That's what happened to John the Baptist in our text this morning. At first, John did not recognize Jesus. He didn't know who he was. Even though they were cousins, He really did not know Jesus until the very day that he came to the Jordan River to be baptized of John. It was then that the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended like a dove and rested on the shoulder of Jesus. Sometimes it happens that way. Something dramatic happens and our lives are totally transformed. God had told John in a personal word, He is the one on whom you will see the Spirit descend and remain. And He will be the one that will bring the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When John saw the Spirit descend upon Jesus in the form of a dove, he knew without a doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. This was Him the one that they had been praying for for over 400 years. John believed that day because of a personal act of revelation. Sometimes it happens to people. The truth of God comes 
into their life in such a dramatic way that they in no way can deny it. They have been in the literal presence of God. And of course, it's a wonderful experience. That's one way that we can find more about Jesus in the new year. Another way of finding him is through the witness of others. A day later in our text, John the Baptist sees Jesus approaching and exclaims, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Two of John's followers hear what John the Baptist is saying, and they think, well, we're going to follow him. If this is the guy, if this is the one, if this is the Messiah, we certainly want to know him better. So they began to follow after Christ. Not because of any dramatic vision that they had had, but because they trusted in John. My guess is that's the way most of us came to Christ. Through the witness of some other person. Maybe it was your parents that told you first about the Lord. Maybe it was your spouse that later on in life uh, came with the gospel message to your heart. Or maybe it was a strong personality that intersected with you somewhere along life's way and made an indelible impression upon us. There was a man named Rock Blankenship that led me to Christ. He was the youth minister in our church in Chattanooga, He was our softball coach, and one day after softball practice, he took me over to the side, and we sat down on the grass, and he talked to me about Jesus and led me to the Lord. My parents were not important people in that church. In fact, they didn't even go to that church. I was an eighth grader who gave very little but received very much. God bless the rock blankenships in our world today for going the extra mile to share their faith with their friends. That has been true for many of us. We have found Christ through the witness of others. Maybe a Sunday school teacher. Maybe a teacher at school. Maybe a kindly neighbor. Maybe a pastor. Maybe And most importantly, maybe a devout parent was the one who shared Christ with us. Their witness made the critical difference in our Christian pilgrimage. Years ago, there was a great Christian contralto named Marian Anderson. Do you remember her? A lot of you do. She gave a concert in a small Nebraska college town. It was a musical high for all the people in that community that year. After the concert, Marion Anderson returned to the hotel and approached the hotel desk. There was a young lady behind the desk, and Marion Anderson asked her, were you able to attend the concert? The girl was a student. She was working her way through college, and she explained to the great singer, how her job had kept her from attending. She said, I am so disappointed. I can't tell you how disappointed I am that I couldn't be there and hear you sing. The following was an unforgettable moment. 
the world-famous singer, stood there in the hotel lobby, unaccompanied, sharing her witness for the Lord as she sang for that young college student, the Ava Maria. Finally, there are others of us who have discovered Christ while we were sort of growing toward Christ and walking maybe as a newfound babe in the Lord. Because of John's witness, these two men that had been following him, that knew a lot about the Lord, they wanted to find out more about this new guy whose name was Jesus. Notice up to this point in our text this morning that Jesus has not said a word. He's not preached a sermon. He's not told a parable. He hadn't said anything. These two men began to follow him simply because of what John the Baptist had said. They replied as they gave their day to the master. They walked behind him. They tried to get up close to listen to him. And of course, Jesus noticed this. And he turned to them and he said, "Uh, What are you seeking? And they said, we're seeking to know more about you. Jesus issued the personal invitation, come and see. And they did. They stayed with Jesus all that day. They became his disciples. Today, Jesus Christ offers that same invitation to other would-be followers. He says to all of us along the way, come and see. Two months before his assassination, Dr. Martin Luther King spoke to his congregation at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, about his death that would oddly become reality two months after he gave this sermon. Every now and then, Dr. King said, I think about my own death. I think about my own funeral. Dr. King told his congregation, if any of you are around when I meet my last day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Every now and then, I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That really isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards uh, much like that one. That's not important. I'd like someone to mention that on that day, Martin Luther King tried to give his life serving others. I want you to be able to say that day that I tried to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to close those who were naked. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to visit those that were in prison. And I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Dr. King concluded with these words, I won't have any money 
left behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I want to leave a committed life behind. Did Dr. King have that level of commitment all through his life? Of course not. Just like we didn't have it all the way from the day we were converted until today. We grow in our faith. We develop in our faith. He had a youthful uh, enthusiasm, of course. He was brought up with an outstanding Baptist preacher as a father. But people who are truly captured by the Spirit of Christ do so generally after walking with him for a number of days. Our faith is validated and it grows as we come and see. Most of us have been reared in the church. There never has been that one moment when the heavens opened up for us and we saw the Spirit of God descend. We have walked with Jesus since we were children, many of the people in this room would say. Our faith is just as real as those who had some dramatic presentation of the working of God. We are among those that have a come-and-see faith. Regardless of how we found Christ, our task is to provide the kind of witness that others may find him too. Now, are we doing that? I'm so proud of these people from our church that went over to Plaza West this morning and are leading that service on this particular Sunday morning. I'm so proud of those that minister daily as they walk around our neighborhood, as they walk around the uh, homes that they live in and talk with their neighbors about the risen Christ. One of the two men who followed Jesus that day was a fisherman named Andrew. The day Andrew spent with Jesus changed his whole life. He went to find his brother Simon, who was also a fisherman. Andrew told his brother, we have found the Messiah. Now think about the importance of those words. They had been waiting and praying for that day for over 400 years. That was the most important thing that could have possibly happened in their lives. Perhaps Andrew had never been so excited as he was that day in his whole life. Simon looked into his brother's eyes and he knew that Andrew was sincere. Simon wanted to meet this teacher that his brother was talking about. Andrew took his brother to meet Jesus. When they found him, Jesus looked at Simon and said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You are to be called Cephas. We know Simon or Cephas as the Apostle Peter, one of the leaders, the main leader of the early church. Peter became a disciple of Jesus thanks to the witness of his brother, Andrew. He, of course, was instrumental in doing a mighty work in those early years of the Christian church. William 
William Willimon, professor at Duke Divinity School, remembers when a friend of his visited the Soviet Union in the 70s. Upon his return, he announced that the church behind the Iron Curtain was mostly irrelevant because the only people that were there were a few little old ladies. Dr. Willeman writes, looking back now at the collapse of communism, the difficulties of rebuilding the Soviet Union after so long of a period of spiritual bankruptcy, I hope my friend would now say, thank God for those little old ladies that were true to the faith. Their existence providing a continuing, visible, practical rebuke to the Soviets and a continued witness for the risen Lord. It would be wonderful if our witness was as effective as that of those little old ladies. It would be wonderful if our witness, like Andrew, could bring somebody of the stature of Simon Peter. Can you just think with me for a moment about those that have led somebody that has been powerful for the Lord, the importance of that event? I'm sure the fellow that led Billy Graham to the Lord never thought, well, this guy is going to lead hundreds of thousands of people to the Savior. But he did. So when we speak to our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends, our associates, when we speak, we never know what God is going to do with the life of that individual. Our task, our joyous challenge, having found the Christ, is to say to others, come and see. They will find and others will find a risen Savior, a Lord who loves them, a Lord who died for them, a Lord who wants to hold them in the hollow of his hand. A new year's upon us. We have a new building. I'm so excited about it. I don't know when we're all going in. I think it's going to be in two or three weeks. Uh, but I'm ready. I'll tell you that. It's exciting. We have some new Bible teachers. On the first Sunday in, now I want every one of you to go to Bible study. Every one of you. I want you to, uh, if you've never been before in your life, I want you to go uh, and celebrate the teaching of the Word of God in that building that we have sacrificed to build. Uh, we have some new Bible teachers. I'm happy about that. Dr. Jim Clore is setting it all up for us. I'm happy about that. I hope we have a new zeal as we kick off the new year. We have a new family, the Casey's, right here. Y'all raise your hand. Uh, they came forward at our uh, Christmas Eve service. And so we have a new family to be a part of our family as we move in uh, to the new building, the new uh, setup for us. Uh, I feel like we're going to have a great great year. Let me conclude this morning with a story that I think is powerful, and I hope you will as well. Each Olympics are filled with some tragedies and some triumphs. In most of the games, it is a clear distinction 
between the two. But in one of the Olympics years ago, during the 400-meter race, the distinction between tragedy and triumph became blurred. At the start of the race, an Englishman with the name Derek Redmond popped his right hamstring. That is a severe, very, very painful, excruciating injury that ends the runner's chances, of course, of winning the race. After that happens, you usually just fall down and moan for a long time. But Derek Redmond didn't do that. He got up and started hopping toward the finish line. The other runners, of course, had already finished the race in a matter of seconds. Redmond, in tears, slowly and laboriously kept moving forward. He kept hopping. It looked like he was going to fall any second. Suddenly, there was a man that appeared at his side. His father had run down from the stand and pushed his way through the security guards to reach his son. Redmond's father put his arm around his son, and his son cried on his shoulder for just a moment. And then, with his father holding him up, Derek Redmond hobbled to the finish line and finished the race. There's a word of hope there for you and for me. We're not saved by our wisdom. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved because we have a heavenly Father who comes down out of the stands to carry us over to the finish line. Today, if you're in the service, you've never trusted and believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior. I pray that today would be the day that the Lord would put his arm around you and carry you across the finish line. We're going to sing a hymn. If you'd like to come and join with our family, join with our fellowship, we'd love to have you. These are the moments that are so crucially important. As we come to a time of invitation, we invite you to come and take a stand for Jesus. I'll be waiting right down here at the front.